So they're doing this kids' band thing, right? And so we're sitting in staff meeting on Friday, and Christy's talking about it. And she says, this one little girl walks up. She's all, she's all I want to I wanna play the violin. I want to try out for the violin. And Christy goes, great. And the little girl goes, do you have a violin? <laughs> so I call them tryouts. All right. Uh, welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get the sermon notes, the verses, and the questions and all that go along with it. So I got, oh, where'd my baby bottle go? Oh, it's over here. It's like, this dude is weird, right? You're new. Where does baby bottle go? Okay, so, whatever, okay. So, we, there, there's a ministry in town called CareNet. It's, it's a great ministry. What they do is they, you know, if, if, uh, if a young girl ends up pregnant, doesn't know what to do, they, they teach them about that, you know, the life inside them is a, a gift from God. And they also do some teaching and training in schools about, you know, STDs and all kinds of stuff like that. But uh, what they do is the major fundraiser during the year, and it's called the Little Baby Bottle Fundraiser. And if you're so inclined, on the way out this door this morning, right out there, there's going to be a lady. She's got some baby bottles. And what you do, take these home, and over the next three weeks, whatever change you have, you know, you just throw it in here, and we turn all of these into CareNet, and it goes to support their ministry for the coming year. So, I mean, if you want to, I suppose you could just keep it all in a, in a jar and then drink out of the baby bottle for three weeks and then fill it up and bring it back if you want, but it would just be creepy. Uh, you can all, uh, paper money also fits in these, too, so you can fill it up with or not. But grab one all the way out the door, uh, fill it up, bring it back. For some reason, you guys are really worried about bringing those things back, too. It's, it's like the last few years, it's like a month later. Oh, here, I brought my baby bottle. It's like three weeks. Does anybody listen to what I said? Three weeks. Three months later. Here you go. It's three. Got it. Okay. Uh, my second thing i tell you about is uh, our go-karting thing, which is what we're calling mo-karting for men of elements. So we're going mo-karting. And in order to get you pumped up for this, uh, we have a video to show you. Now, we do have another one coming in two weeks. Just uh, Donald had a baby, didn't get around. Uh... Oh, that's a good thing. Oh, Donald had a baby. He wasn't even in the video. <laughs> Donald's the guy who shot it and then edited it and stuff. He's got another one he's putting together for it, too. Let me tell you a really funny story about, about Trevor, the guy in the video. Okay, so at one point, we have, it's strapped in by these tie-downs and stuff, and I'm backing up at one point. And a tie-down goes under my tire, so it starts to, it's pulling the, the go-kart out of the back of the truck. It turns, ah, like a little girl. Seriously. I said, Aaron! And I'm all, well, I don't, I don't notice anything. He could have fallen out. I never would have known because I'm oblivious like that. It was just great. So come mo-karting. This isn't like going down to boomers where it's like 10 miles an hour, you know. This is like, these things go like 50 miles an hour. It's awesome. But you got to sign up because i got to tell how many people are coming. So, guys, sign up. All right, why don't you stand with me, reading God's Word. Second service is way more responsive to my funny faces. <laughs> You're just in awe, okay. Only one Band-Aid this week, all right. <laughs> Romans 12, 18 uh, says this, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us as a people uh, to live in the idea of reconciliation, that you have first reconciled to us and we would reconcile to those around us, that our lives be lives of peace, and so that people would know who you are by how your children live. Amen. Have a seat. Now, sometimes when it comes to a section of Scripture and sermons, pastors have to do all kinds of mental gymnastics to make a section of Scripture preach. Uh, Today is not one of those days. Today is one of those days. It just goes, and it's awesome. And because it goes so well, it's going to go fast. Well, faster than normal for me, but it's going to go fast. So my gift to you is a shorter message this morning. You're welcome, but it's going to be a little more serious as we hit it. Uh, This week and next week kind of go hand in hand. This week is about reconciliation. Next week is about retaliation. Uh, But this idea of reconciliation is a very high call for people who call themselves Christians. It is bringing one another together again. It is making oneself and another person no longer opposed. It is reconsecrated. The, The Latin root of reconcile means to bring together again. And there's a lot of hard words about reconciliation throughout the book of Genesis. And this is the reestablishing of relations, especially those you don't want to have relationships with. From Genesis 1, God intended for his people to live in trust and truth and harmony and faith and love and justice with not only him, but other people. But what you see in Genesis is that men and women almost sin right out of the gate, and the effects of that sin are immediately seen. Uh, We hide from God. We hide from each other. Uh, The man and the woman lie to God. They lie to each other. They run from God. They run from each other. They are separated from God and each other. And when we talked about the third chapter of Genesis, we talked about death and separation. And that is literally what this leads to. It leads to separation of you and I from the true life that we were meant to live. Now, today we deal with death and sin and separation with therapy. We deal with it with drugs, prescription, and non, or by acting out in some certain way that makes us feel better about our condition. But the human condition, which you have to understand, there's something innate within us that God built in us that wants a relationship with him and wants relationship with other people. Because you'll see this because we will all begin to worship something if it's not God. And if it's not God, that thing we worship begins to kill us inside and on the outside. And we know everything is not right until we're in proper relationship with God. But some people don't want to surrender themselves to Jesus. And so they live lives of constantly battling against God himself. Reconciliation in the scriptures has deep connotations. It is coming together across lines of sin to be with others. This is why Jesus says things like, love those who do as evil, forgive those who have hurt you, pray for those who persecute you, which really comes into focus next week when you see the whole thing about retaliation. The Apostle Paul constantly is about reconciling with others. This is why he wrote in Romans twelve eighteen, if possible, as far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, if you call yourself a Christian, you should try to reach others as best as possible. But Paul doesn't assume that everybody's going to respond in kind. You may forgive somebody, and they may not come back in reconciliation. They may not repent. You may love somebody, and they may hate you. You may offer a hand of friendship, and somebody may spit in your face. Forgiveness and reconciliation, they are two different things. Now, let me ask you a question. How many people does it take for forgiveness to work? Okay, look, I know this is church, and you think the answer's got to be Jesus, but it's a number. So one, there you go. Forgiveness works, it takes one. How many does it take for reconciliation to work? 
too. Exactly. That, that's the point. We can forgive others even if they don't change. We can't reconcile unless someone wants to participate in that. So that's what we look at in Genesis today. Usually the hardest people that we have to live with are those who are part of our own family. And if you look on the other side of that, you know, that the, comes the Christian family as well, and we've got to deal with those people, and they're just crazy too. Now, Jacob and Esau, they fight each other before they're even born. In the womb, they're just trying to beat each other up the whole time. As soon as they're born, Rebecca, the mom, selects Jacob as her favorite. Isaac, the dad, selects Esau as his favorite. Jacob steals his brother's birthright. Uh, Esau, his brother, responds with plotting Jacob's murder, which is a very fast escalation, if you ask me. You stole my birthright? Death. Okay, so it's really fast. Then at the request of his mother, Jacob runs away. Jacob has been separated from his family and his brother for 20 plus years. During this time, he becomes a Christian. He starts to follow God. He learns faith. He takes his knocks. God shows up and says, now it's time for you to go home. So he obeys God and he trusts. And this sets up the tension in the story. Jacob has become a man. He's become a follower. But what's Esau going to do? Because Esau is an unbeliever. And because Esau doesn't love God, doesn't know God, doesn't obey God, Jacob is taking a huge risk in what's going to happen. So as we go through this, I'm going to give you six principles okay, for reconciliation. Open your Bible to Genesis 33. I'll give you six principles in this. I'm going to make this very practical for you on how you can live this out in your life and be about reconciliation. Principle number one is this, and this is very important for you to understand. Reconciliation doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. Don't think that just because you love Jesus and you decide to love everybody else that everyone's going to love you. Some people are bitter and angry and everything you say and everything you do is going to be filtered through that. You can say, well, I'm here to apologize. And they will say, well, you should because you're terrible. Right. Thanks for the help. Uh, I'm just trying to get this worked out. Can we work it out? Why? So you can do it again. You know, sometimes that's what happens. Reconciliation never goes like you expect it's going to go. But we must be a people about reconciliation. And sometimes you may need a mediator in the middle of it. Maybe somebody that's not, you know, connected to either one of you. Put them in the middle so that they can deal with it. And maybe you might even need to meet in a public place. Like if it's Jacob and Esau and someone has planned your murder, right, don't meet in the middle of the woods next to a hole because it's not going to go well for you, right? You meet in a coffee shop, a public place. You be wise about it. Genesis 33, verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. This can be really good or really bad. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with their children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. So he subdivides them in case he gets attacked. He's trying to make a plan in this. Someone's got to survive in this. And I think it's interesting. He puts his favorite wife in his favorite kid in the very back so i'm sure he's like if they get attacked you guys run 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 (laughs) kind of crazy now some commentators believe this is a total lack of faith i i don't think so i think jacob is trying to protect his family as best as he can and this is his plan sometimes even in reconciliation you you need a plan in this you know if, if someone has steals from you you may need an attorney if someone hurts you or your family you may need to call the police don't assume reconciliation is going to work every time though we should be seeking for it okay principle number two in reconciliation is that reconciliation requires humility humility in our culture we don't see humility as a virtue we see it as a vice like it's a problem years ago bill bennett wrote this book called the book of virtues you know what virtue isn't in the book of virtues humility humility because we see it as low self-esteem but let me just tell something jesus is god in the flesh washes his disciples feet that is 
humility, right? Do you think Jesus has low self-esteem? No. Thank you, the one person. No. Jesus. Boy. People, come on. Some of you need humility, all right? Jesus has got it. He's got it. You know, sometimes how you look to other people is more important than how you look to God. Proud people will never reconcile well. If your goal is to always look good, you will never reconcile. If you are proud and you think everyone needs to apologize to you, and they may have hurt you and they may need to apologize, right? But humbleness will actually seek people out, even if they've done something against you, to still try and make it right because it is humbleness. It is humility. Verse 3, he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now, here you see Jacob is no longer a coward. He lines his family up and steps out in front of them. And if somebody gets killed, he's going first. He is now leading his family. He goes and humbly bows down before his brother. He bows seven times. Now, in this culture, bowing seven times, that is an act reserved for royalty. So he says, Esau, I am here asking for your forgiveness. Now, I don't know if you've ever been really mad at somebody, and they come in complete humility, and it totally disarms you. Like, you go, I am so mad. I know, I'm so sorry. Well, I just want, I know, I, I really, I'm sorry. But I just, and you're like, I want to punch you, but I can't because you're totally taking the wind out of my sails. That's what happens. That's what humility does. It is not through pride that you reconcile. It is through humility. Pride got Satan kicked out of heaven. And then that turns into arrogance. True pride is humble. It says, I am nothing, but with God, I can do anything. Arrogance is, I am something, and I can do anything I want. We are a people. We should be confident in the abilities of God, but not arrogant in and of ourselves. Some of you have sinned against somebody else, and you need to humbly go and seek them out and seek reconciliation. Principle number three, when it works, it is worth it. It is worth it. And a lot of us need to get this message and understand this and really listen and put it into action. Because in this story, you begin to get some hope of what happens with Jacob and Esau. Because this is their moment. Verse 4, it says, but Esau ran. Now, this is something that's amazing. Because in this culture, men did not run. Little boys ran. They ran around, didn't kids run around stuff? But men don't run. It's seen as a sign that you don't have enough dignity if you run. Now, it's kind of like now, if I go to a rock concert, and I, and I do like rock concerts, okay? And if I go to a rock concert, I, I'll now sit in the back. When I was younger, I'd go up to the front and be like, where's the mosh pit? Woo! Mosh! Boom! I got punched in the face. Awesome! You know? But as you grow older, you don't like being punched in the face so much. And you sit in the back, and you're like, oh, cool, just play me some music. It'll be awesome. I am more dignified now. So I tell my wife anyway all the time. I said, no, I am. Marianne, I am more dignified. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. Now, this is the guy who wanted to kill him. This, if you put some really cheesy music behind this, this could be like a Hallmark or a Lifetime movie. La, 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 la. Right? You, you can just see it. I can't. Whatever. Okay. And fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. If you have destroyed somebody's life or they have destroyed yours, this humility and grace and extending yourself, this all makes it worth it when reconciliation works. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. I mean, this for me is like those, those Disney moments, like the Lilo and Stitch moment where it's like, oh, he just gets his family back. That's all he wants. It kind of chokes me up. Verse 5, and when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. And so Jacob now credits God for all of his success. What you'll notice if you read throughout the rest of the scriptures is that Esau never does this. He never does this. And this is the first time now that Jacob's kids get to meet their uncle. They're probably like, hey, you are 
like Elmo. You're red and furry. We'll call you Chewbacca. It'll be awesome. And Jacob's children have never got to meet Jacob's dad, and now they're finally going to get to because of reconciliation. But also because of reconciliation, Jacob gets to preach the gospel to his brother. God has blessed me. Principle number four, reconciliation requires grace from everyone, from everyone. Verse six, then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down, that is humility. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down, that is humility. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down, that is humility. Do you think if anybody in this family walked up to Esau and said, well, holy cow, you're as ugly as your brother said, and as furry too. You know, he's selling any birthrights lately? Stupid? Har, har, har. Our kids aren't going to hang with yours. You're too dumb. Do you think that would have worked? Okay, people. Pretty about reconciliation here. Would that have worked? That's, maybe that's why it never works for you. I don't know. No, it wouldn't have worked. Humility is what it takes for this to work. The whole family has to reconcile. Everyone has to swallow their pride. And this is more important. The older you get, the more set in your ways you get, and the harder it is to swallow that pride. This is why I keep telling you, if you are unmarried, the woman or man that you marry needs to be a good man or a woman and understand humbleness. If you are married, you need to understand how to become a good woman or a good man because if you want good relations, you will have to be humble enough to allow for this example of reconciliation. I think this family gets it and understands it because Jacob is now taking the lead. He starts, he shows them what it looks like. Verse 8, Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Now, this company is all the animals from last week, if you were here, that Jacob sent to his brother. He's trying to make an offering to his brother to not be so mad here. Sends him 550 animals. Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Principle number five, reconciliation often requires restitution. Meaning you pay somebody back for what you did. Jacob stole Esau's birthright. Jacob is sending a gift of 550 animals to equal this birthright. He's making restitution. I mean, if you have stolen from someone, pay them back. If you wreck your friend's car, fix it. Don't say, well, you let me drive it. You know, don't end up on Judge Judy and Judge Judy having to tell you you're an idiot. All right? You fix the car. You steal from your boss. You pay it back. Your circle of friends vandalize them. You go clean it up. Your circle of friends gossip. You go apologize to somebody. Well, that's really hard. Yes, it's hard. Well, I may look bad. Yes, you may look. Well, I may look evil. You are evil. Just suck it up and take it because you are evil. You have to understand that. But I'll give you my whole little bumper sticker saying, it is better to be good than to look good. It is better to be good because sometimes being good doesn't always look so good. You need to be the person God has called you to, to be about reconciliation. Verse 10, Jacob said, no, please if I have found favor in your sight and accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. I think Jacob understands. I met Jesus, he could have killed me, and he didn't. I just met Esau again, he could have killed me, and he didn't. And so now Jacob is thankful for his life and all that he has. He says, please accept my blessing." that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Right there, he is witnessing to his brother again. I ripped you off, but everything I now have is from the hand of God. Now, if you're a believer, this is what you have to understand. 
Jesus' life, death, resurrection, your sins are paid for. You are forgiven. You don't need to wallow in it. You don't got to pay God back or do anything like that, which means we shouldn't walk around in guilt and shame forever. But when it comes to how we have hurt other people, I will tell you this. Don't let yourself off the hook too easy. Don't be like, well, I said I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong with them. You, know, you can't do that. You know, you got to sometimes make restitution. Like I said, if you, if you wreck somebody's car, you, you hurt somebody, you got to go and deal with that. It says, thus he urged him and he took it. So he goes and he says, no, no, take this. I know you don't want to take it, but you need to. I need to make things right. Now, here's another important thing. It's, I don't think it's in your notes, but here's another important thing. When this relationship gets worked out, like say you have to reconcile with somebody in your life, it doesn't mean you need to go out and buy a tandem bike. You need to ride around all the time together or go look around for all the three-legged races so you can tie your legs together and just, oh, we're going to go do races. You don't, you don't need to do that. Reconciliation, family relationship restored, but sometimes even in that, sometimes you've got to put parameters around your life and your family to protect it because sometimes when you reconcile with somebody, they could still come back and hurt your family. This is what happens in this story, verse 12. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you, meaning I'll take charge of all of us. This will be great. We buddies, we'll hang out, we'll life together again Esau's an unbeliever Esau's like I forgive you let's move in together you know your kids can help my kids make meth in the basement they'll go out and sell it at the high school on the weekend it'll be awesome it'll just be great we'll have a whole little workforce verse 13 but Jacob said to him my lord knows that the children are frail and the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me Jacob's starting to back out of this he says in this cultural context you ride with men I ride with kids you're a hunter I'm a family man you live there all live here will raise our kids Jacob is trying to tactfully define the terms of this relationship and make some distance between the two of them he says if they are driven hard for one day all the flocks will die let my lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my lord and Sarah when what Jacob says is true but it's not all that only purpose so Esau said let me leave you with some of the people who are with me but he said what need is there let me find favor in the sight of my Lord Esau's like I'll give you some men Jacob's like no no I I really got it covered let's not argue or fight if you have somebody in your life you need to reconcile with you reconcile with them but then you have to tactfully redefine the terms of your relationship you have to if someone has been a cancer in your life that does not mean you let them end every part of your life and they're there every day hanging out with your family you have to define the terms of the relationship see it's really easy when it's i hate you you hate me everything's good i understand how it works as soon as reconciliation takes place you have the hard work of defining relationship and so if you have someone that just destroys your family in your life well you set some boundaries around that you don't let them in all the time but you can still be cordial and reconcile in that verse 16 so esau returned that day on his way to sarah but jacob journeyed to sucketh i know this is a terrible name for a town sucketh like i live in gary and it sucketh <laughs> imagine the cheerleaders for that town what do their uniforms look like what are their what are their cheers you know you don't sucketh we sucketh <laughs> but jacob journeyed to sucketh and built himself a house and made booze for his livestock therefore the name of the place is called sucketh sucketh actually means booths or tents or tabernacles i'm just making fun of the name uh now from this point on i'm sure jacob and esau they get together every once in a while but not a whole lot the next time in the scripture you see them get together is when their father dies they now love each other but they're not really super close with each other 
Because as a believer, Jacob's first priority is God, his family, job, everything else that comes after that, including the old family. Verse 18, And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, which means God is the God of Israel, because what is Jacob's name now? Israel, Israel, exactly. So he sets up a home. He has a church. People are like, who's that guy? What does he do? His God is God, period. And that's what he says. God is my God. He has made reconciliation possible. He has given us a home. And I would like to think at this point, Jacob and his family starts to pray for Esau and his family. Because when reconciliation takes place, it is good to tell other people about it. It gives us hope. Which brings me to the last principle in this idea of reconciliation. And that's principle number six. Reconciliation is the ultimate demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the ultimate demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It shows the work and the ministry of Jesus in us by how we simply live our lives. You see, for all of us, we have there's our true self inside of us, and then there's a self we want everybody else to see around us. We want people to think we're powerful and put together and we're forgiving and strong and willing to reconcile. But I will tell you this. After all the people I've ever met in my life, especially doing this job, out of all the people I've canceled after meeting all of you, I am convinced that everybody screwed up. Everybody. And yet, for some reason, we think nobody else should be. We know deep down inside we all are, but we think, oh, why'd they hurt me? How dare they do that to me? And we get so mad at them when they're just as screwed up as we are. We have to understand that. See, everyone wants to say they love, they follow Jesus, but nobody really wants to do everything God calls us to. In reconciliation, we like to say, oh, I tried, but they wouldn't. I called them, they didn't call me back. I sent an email, they never responded. Really? You sent... You hit send on an email, and that was the extent of your reconciliation? Jacob travels hundreds of miles, sends half his livelihood away, wrestles with God, lets go of his pride, bows down to the ground, and reconciles. And you hit send on an email. Woo, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one right there. Let me tell you this. God sent his son to reconcile with us. That's what God did. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Again, you have to understand to reconcile, to reconcile something. To take something that was once conciled, it no longer is, and then reconcile it again. This is where we get our word conciliatory from, which is peacemaking, an overture of a proper relationship, where things were once in a proper relationship and now they're not, and they need to be, again, reconciled, bringing things back together again. Jacob and Esau and the relationship, you and all the messed up relationships in your life, and God and us reconciled. The cross is God's way of making peace with all things, and that includes us. Through the cross, through the blood of Christ, God has made peace. And this comes down to a very personal level for every single person because Jesus doesn't want us to live in a split reality, and yet we do. We have our outside, and then we have our inside. We say we have have a spiritual and a physical. There's what we say and what we do. We are to be one being, one being. What people see is what they get. Central to the Shema, the great prayer of Israel, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. God is one. God is not divided. And he intends for you and I to not be divided as well. Reality, in its essence, is to be unified. So God wants to unite us. God wants to reconcile us in ourselves. He wants to reconcile us. Do you live with internal things inside of you, yet the external reality is completely different? 
God wants to reconcile you, unite you so you can stop pretending. And then he reconciles you, reconciled to himself as his child. And then he sets us about becoming reconcilers like Jacob. Open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. This is the idea. God sent his son so we can be reconciled to him. And now his son sends you and I to be reconcilers. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. Paul is amazing in these words here. It starts like this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. See, God is perfect. We are sinful and we are bad. We have placed between God and us this barrier called sin. We should spend eternity away from God. But God, in his mercy, decided he would reconcile to us. He would forgive us. He would run to us, throw his arms around our neck. He would weep over us. Us, in spite of who we are, in spite of all that we have done. And a relationship with God is not like a relationship with other people. You see, God doesn't count your sins against you any longer. Other people throw your past in your face all the time. If you're married, you know this. Five years ago, you did this. You're like, yes, I did, but I forgot about it. I'm glad you remember and help me remember that because that's wonderful, right? It happens all the time. Maybe your friends, and they're like, you did it. You know, it's like, seriously, how long ago was that? You see, God offers us forgiveness. God never does that. I'll tell you, if you love Jesus and you repent, God never throws rocks in this. And this idea of understanding that then makes us be a people who can be able to forgive others around us, that we can let go, that we can stop holding people's sins against them. We must be willing to forgive. He says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, meaning we now actually have something to say. We actually have something to do. When we sin against somebody, we say, I sinned against you and I'm sorry. We seek and show people what reconciliation looks like. Because if you do not learn how to forgive, you will live a life of bitterness and confusion and depression. Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God is crying to the world through you. Sin leads to death. Don't die a sinner. Be reconciled to God. This is the message of hope and the message of life and the goodness of God. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Are you reconciled to God? All that we do at Element is for this purpose, that you would be reconciled to Jesus Christ because of what he has done for you, that through Jesus, that is the only way to be reconciled to God. That's why we say, bow yourself at the foot of the cross and trust him with your life. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, Jesus was born, lived, died, rose. Yet without the sin problem that we have, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Yet, in that, he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. He takes our separation and gives us his intimacy with God. He takes our death and he gives us his life. So God does not count our sins against us. So we have a message to people who are lost that there is hope. There is hope. There is reconciliation with God and others. What our hearts truly long for is that reconciliation. And if we're going to get it together and we're going to do it, we've got to make a difference now. We have got to be understand our reconciliation now. I implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
This is why we do all that we do here. So you would understand this reconciliation that has been offered to us. I mean, you, you can't look at somebody else and go, oh, look what they did to me. I'm never going to reconcile with them. Look what we've done to God. And yet he comes and extends himself and reconciles himself to us in love and hope and faith and goodness and grace. That's what God does. He reconciles first to us so we'd be reconciled to others around us. God first loved us so we love everyone else around us. We reconcile and we must be humble to do it because I'll tell you, if you're not humble, it'll never happen. You must Learn to be humble and swallow your pride and reconcile. We invite you to communion every single week because of this. Communion is the place where we remember what Christ has done for us. It's a place of remembrance and hope and grace and love. And so you take that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I so that we can be a people who are truly reconciled to our great God. The band's going to come up. They'll play a couple songs. And as they do, you can sing along, take communion, but also be some deacons and elders in the back. And we invite you, if you have never understood reconciliation with God and what that means, go and pray with them. If you've never followed Christ in your life, we invite you this morning to bow yourself at the foot of the cross and understand what true reconciliation actually looks like. There's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of that worship. It's part of understanding what he has done. And then there's food and stuff in the back. And we invite you guys to grab something to eat, but also get to know some other people. And if there's somebody in this room that you need to reconcile with, get it done. If there's somebody outside these walls that you need to reconcile with, get it done. Even if they're the ones that have hurt you, start the process. It doesn't mean you need to let them have every place in your life again, hang out at your house. But you start the thing where you say, you know what? I'm going to forgive you because it's going to tear me up inside if I don't, and God calls me to. And you start the process. You become a reconciler because God has called you to be that. His ambassadors in this world are not people who come and sit in a room like this on a Sunday morning and sing five or six songs and then walk out the doors and live like everybody else. We are ambassadors to the world in which we are in, living lives of reconciliation. And that's what you and I are to be about. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, I ask that we would be about your business of reconciliation. Father, I ask that we wouldn't so much get hung up in ourselves, but we would set aside ourselves in a way that we would understand what you have called us to. We would set aside the pride and our achievements and our accomplishments and live in a humbleness of what you have done for us. You've given us hope. You've given us life. And all that we truly need to understand that is you. So this morning, teach us to no longer be a divided people where we're one thing on the inside and one thing on the outside or one thing while we're in this room and then one thing while we're outside these walls, but to live our lives as a unified whole in worship of you so that all that we would do would reflect your goodness and your grace and the whole world would understand what you have done to make it whole again. Now we would be undone 
by the goodness of that grace. And that people would see how we are undone, but also put back together stronger and better than we ever were on our own. And that you above all be lifted up and glorified by your children, loving and serving and following you. We ask these things in your son's name.